What's going on, crew? Hope everybody's well. This week's guest on Mistake Mastery, we are talking with Miss Susanna Johnston. Susanna is an international travel stewardess, and she shares her experiences and provides practical travel hacks to keep in mind the next time you go flying. Expect to learn the common mistakes passengers make while traveling on a flight and how to avoid them, conflict resolution strategies in relation to customer service, the frequent challenges faced by air hostesses around the world, the safest seats to travel on an aeroplane and why, practical travel hacks to make your flight more comfortable, and the perks and benefits of working as an air hostess. Crew, if you've ever sat there on a plane thinking about what it is that an air hostess actually does behind the scenes, what more to the job is there than demonstrating how to put on a seatbelt or where the life jacket is, then this is the episode for you. Susanna really does dive in to unpack the profession in all of its glory and to be honest has me thinking a little bit about maybe getting up and working in the sky myself. Not really. If I was single and no kids and maybe no family, it might be an opportunity to go traveling. But at the end of the day, it is a pretty amazing profession. Let us please welcome Miss Susanna Johnston. Johnson, how are you? I'm cute. How are you? I'm very well. Whereabouts are you at the moment? Are you somewhere exotic? Well, that's that's pretty exotic, isn't it? Like I'm just thinking of like exotic places that you could. I suppose there are many exotic more places that you could be, though, right? As opposed to like Austria, is that exotic? Yeah, right. So. So by now, probably the people listening are thinking about what it is we're about to talk about. Why are you traveling around and going to all these exotic locations? So um, it's my understanding you are an um, air hostess. Is that the correct title? Is it flight attendant or air hostess or it doesn't really matter what the title is? We go, I'm cabin crew or a cabin attendant or air hostess or basically anything people can come up with is what I usually end up being called. Got you. So what, uh, what drove you to work in the sky? What, what inspired you to, to get into um, being into cabin crew and providing, providing a service on planes? What was, what was the motivation there? Was there something that appealed to you in that industry that you thought, you know what, that's me in a nutshell or you just wanted to try something different? It's fun and it's the ability to say in like 20 years' time that I flew all over Europe, that I've travelled all these places, I've been... I can say that I've flown to Romania, Bulgaria, Estonia, Israel. I've been to France, Germany, Spain. I've been to all of these countries. And I get to wow. tell people that I've seen all of these places. Yeah, so I guess like um, being an air hostess, you know, it's obviously really going to appeal to people that want to see the world, that want to, um, that have that aspect of travel and, you know, perhaps don't want to be fixed in one location. If they're thinking about going down that path and, and starting to do that sort of work, what, uh, how, do they, how do they get started? What's the first sort of line of defense that they need to bypass to sort of crack into the industry? To get into it. You need to have done customer service in any form before. So waitressing, just even working in like supermarkets, clothes shops, anything. You've got a degree as well. 
And then if you have both the customer service and a higher education, you just start finding airlines or in some countries they have schools designed for you to get your cabin crew at a station. And once you have that, you just start applying to every single airline you can think of. And eventually one's going to say yes. Once they say yes, obviously you've got some level of training that you have to do. How much of that is theoretical and how much of it is actually you getting up in the sky and um, sort of having that mentoring apprenticeship style, um, you know, hands-on training? So the one I did, it took nearly six weeks. And in those six weeks, I would say about, Three and a half of them were purely theoretical, sat in a classroom, reading the books, just going through all the information as fast as possible. Then we did practical training. So we never actually went in the air until we finished everything. We went to simulators. So we simulated the emergency situations, normal flying. We did fire drills with real fire, which was quite an experience. We were in an actual cabin and it was on fire and we had to put it out we did the swimming the survival the whole thing okay now you've just sort of jogged my memory about something that i've (laughs) always wanted to know since i was have i've been on airplanes and i sit there on my seat like the good passenger that i am and i put my seatbelt on i follow all of the instructions and then you know they start talking about if the plane was to land on and this is the key right land on water always has me thinking And they start talking about, you know, the slides run out and you do this and you do that, life jacket under your seat. What can you, like, do you have the factual knowledge around debunking this thing? Do planes land on water or float on water? Like, I always think if I'm, if you're coming down at like a huge velocity, and I'm trying not to scare anyone that could be listening that's like afraid of flying, but if you're, (laughs) I think it's going to happen by by the nature of the question. But if you're coming down, you know, at some, crazy speed um into the ocean like are you going is is that within the scope of the pilot to just sort of like casually land the right way up and have time to deploy slides is that very realistic the way it works is that the pilots will do everything in their power to slow the aircraft down as much as possible so we may be free falling out of the sky but they will be doing everything to slow us down so that we do hit the water it will be it'll be painful and it'll be pretty sharp but it will be in one piece and if we're the right way up even if we're the wrong way up you can still open the doors and deploy the slides you just have to you know figure out how it works but it is still possible as long as you can get out the door but for the landing the pilots don't operate the slides that's all on the cabin crew pilots are actually the first ones who leave if they're still fine they open their door and they go right out with all of the paperwork. What's the rationale of the the pilots leaving first? They have all of the information of the aircraft. So if they leave, they have, they can assist outside in the emergency. They are classed as an able-bodied person. So they take over the outside situation while we are still inside the cabin because we can't leave until every single one of our passengers is safe and out of the aircraft. I know you're kind of obliged to give me probably like the corporate answer right now, but like if in an emergency situation and like that plane sinking, is there surely not going to be an element of like saving oneself that goes through one's head or are you committed to the end? We have to stay in that aircraft and the type of aircraft I fly is an Airbus and they don't sink. 
in the typical term of when you crash land on water in a Boeing, the back end of those aircraft, they immediately are underneath the water. But in an Airbus, they stay perfectly flat on the surface of the water. So you have enough time to evacuate the aircraft before it starts sinking. How much time? I know we're getting into the technicalities, but I'm, I'm just curious by all of this. How much time do people have <laughs> in terms of safety, do you reckon? You can evacuate. Any aircraft can be evacuated in 90 seconds entirely. Unbelievable. And do you think that you've got 90 seconds before the airplane starts sinking or do you think you've got a bit longer? Oh, probably much longer. It's one of the easier situations because you're on water. It's You're surrounded. Your passengers can be safe once they're out. Got you. Now, touch wood, obviously, none of this ever happens to you or on any of your flights. I honestly wish, um, would not wish that upon anybody. But in terms of, I guess, those are, I mean, they're kind of interesting facts. Probably the only one that sort of, I guess, a pressing question for me as well around that is you hear all of these sort of myths and um, ideas around like the safest or the least safe position to sit on a plane and obviously for a lot of us that um, fly economy um, or even in business like a lot of the time uh, I think business class from memory at least in Australia a lot of the um, seats are sort of directed at the the front of the plane and then you have you know you, you sort of your full range from sort of a quarter a quarter your way through from the front all the way to the back uh is there a safer safest location that people can request if they're really like super diligent and uh painful and want to sit in the factually safest place on an airplane i'm sure there is a factually safest place to sit i'm pretty sure i've seen videos of people debunking all of the places to sit that are the safest but i'd say probably around the middle at the wings because you're close to, if you sit close to them, you're near the exits, you're in the sort of most stable part of the aircraft, it's right in the middle, you're in the most balanced part. So I'd say around the middle is probably your safest bet. Gotcha. Now back to, I guess, less uh, less safety concerning and less sort of we're all going to die on an airplane type questions. Talk to us a little bit about some memorable experiences you've had flying. So, you know, you, you mentioned a bunch of countries that, you know, you've gone to and, and, and experienced. Have the memories of being a flight attendant been more attached to, you know, the locations or the destinations that you've ended up at? Or, you know, do you have some really specific you know, great times, you know, first first time flying, for example, as an air hostess, is there a, is there a specific memory that, um, you know, you sort of look back at fondly and, and sort of cherish? My first ever day flying, it was in the height of summer and it was busy. We were delayed, we were late, the passengers had had enough of us, but it was one of my favourite things because the first time I opened the door at my destination, I got to see it and I was the one who opened the door and it was it was magnificent. It was the first memory I have is we landed, we got all the commands, we got the clearance, and I got to open a door in the random country for the first time. And the passengers, they were nice, despite being delayed, too hot, the whole thing. It's one of those things to say you can open the door, look outside, and it's a glorious day in a different country. 100%. I could relate to that. That would be quite the experience. I'm not sure if I'll ever get to experience, given the fact that I'm not in that industry. But um, perhaps if I sit in, what, maybe That's business class or like pay a little bit extra to sit up the front or something, I guess I could be close um, to at least kind of seeing that. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to... Um, to quite be the same. You mentioned uh, just then that, you know, you on that particular day you had some really nice customers, 
passengers is the better word, isn't it? You had some really nice passengers um, yeah. on that on that day that that's obviously served those memories. Obviously, like in any industry, hospitality, you know, whatever, just about whatever career you go into, you know, there are people um, that you're going to have to interact with that are perhaps less than desirable to interact with. Have you found um, there to be more or less than you originally anticipated? And in the encounters that you have had with such uh, passengers, is there any um, str- specific strategies to air hostessing that you guys are sort of obliged to follow? Or is it really just down to communication and your ability to kind of, you know, fluently diffuse the situation verbally? So most of our passengers, they're calm, they're collected. They just want to get from A to B. We have on occasion had passengers who are upset because they've had their luggage removed by the gate agent because it's too big. Their seat isn't the one they thought it was. The aircraft has been changed, so we're actually missing like three rows of seats. That Their their seat is row 37, but we don't have a row 37 because we had to swap the aircrafts for whatever reason. So their seats have been moved. They paid for a seat. They want this. They don't like the person they're sat next to. So when they start getting like this, we talk with them, we see what we can do in the aircraft to help the situation. So if it's as simple as just moving their seat, we will do what we can. If it's something that's outside of our control, so if they're really just upset and they just want to yell at us, we just leave. If it's not anything that we can help with, we will walk away and we will go back to them after they have calmed down. If it's getting out of control for one of us to deal with, we usually get someone else more senior to come and help us. And if they still do not calm down, again, it goes to the more senior. In the worst case scenario, we've had the captains of the aircraft come up and say, no, you are not staying on this aircraft if you're treating my my crew like that. You are out. And in those situations, we do have to call the police. Have you experienced any of those situations personally? And if you have, what is the worst encounter so far to date that you've experienced personally? So you've been on the you've been on the flight, you've ended up in a conversation with somebody that's going in a in a place or a direction that is less than desirable. What is the worst customer? That sorry, I keep using that word customer, the worst passenger that you've had um, to date and what were they doing? For me, I have avoided having the police involved. The ones I get, they're just tired and grumpy. They just call me ungrateful. They don't. They say I don't care about them, that I just want the money and blah, blah, blah. They will swear at me, scream at me. They will say whatever they want, to which I'm just like, I'm here for your safety. I do not care if you're going to swear and scream at me, but you have to follow what I say, to which I've never escalated beyond someone more senior coming than treating them the exactly the same, the passengers. But most of the times they will just sit down and they will just be rude to me for sort of the next few hours, which if they want to do that, that's fine. But they will be safe and they will be following my instructions. I know that's um, like highly unprofessional to do or like if, if I was to do the following. But if like somebody said that to me where, I, where they were saying something like, you know, you only want the money. I would just love to see the expression on their face. And I know you couldn't because you'd be restricted by what you could say, you know, given the fact that you're employed by the um, airline. But I'd love to see the expression on their face if you just turned around and said something like, oh, well, you know, you're only here to get a flight from A to B. It's just, it's no different. Like, you know, it's your job. Yeah. Like you are there to be paid. And like, you know, that's, they have to expect that 
um, you know, that that's naturally a part of it. It's, it's ridiculous to think that you're only there for the money, obviously, but it's no different to you turning around and going, well, you're only here to be a passenger. Like, what else are you here for? Like, it, it really is no different in my mind. But um, I think I think one of the interesting ones that happens as a passenger for me is when things get a little bit turbulent and, you know, maybe you're going for a bit of un, unforeseen um, weather or weather changes rapidly and you've got, you know, this plane violently sort of shaking at times and sometimes, yeah, like pretty pretty aggressively. Now, I know um, I actually have a friend who's a pilot and I remember um, talking to him about a similar topic and he was sort of saying like actually like the plane can tolerate like insane levels of, of turbulence and like the turbulence that most people, like when they say, oh, you know, this is a medium level of, of turbulence, for example, like often it's actually very mild it's just because it's so novel to a lot of people um particularly if you know you're not flying all the time it comes across as you know not not ideal it's it's um it's unusual it's an unusual sensation so when that happens do you have any do you find yourself sort of comforting people that are that are sort of freaking out going we're crashing we're we're going down or like does that because it seems ridiculous but i just know that like in any profession there's that full spectrum of emotions that can run through, you know, the, the mildest of triggers. So do you find, um, you know, yourself responding to these sort of situations when turbulent weather occurs? And I guess yes. in terms of, you know, bad weather or emergencies, what sort of things do you do to provide comfort and provide, I guess, reassurance to the, uh, to the passengers? So for turbulence, the one most people are kind of, are used to is just the light shaking, sort of the drinks will spill, things like that, to which in that situation, we don't do anything. We'll tell the passengers, oh, it's fine. This is perfectly normal. This is We deal with this basically all day, every day, to which a lot of passengers, they fly a lot with us. They're used to the light shaking. Usually the ones that gets people a little bit nervous is when I can be doing like walking through the cabin. And then the cabin just isn't underneath my feet anymore. And then I go back down to which usually it's no more than sort of 30 centimeters to a meter. But that's why you always hold on to something when walking through the airplane. Because if you let go, you can uh, land rather funnily. But if you're holding on to something, you just keep walking. Perfectly normal for the aircraft to disappear under your feet sometimes in turbulence. It's it's interesting that feeling that you get. It's kind of like going in an elevator. You know, when you, you step into an elevator and like you feel like your stomach's kind of dropped or raised in a really strange way. But like I feel like it's it's quite often the same feeling. But also I think that there's an element of um, like I'm not sure what the word is, but like uh, Hollywoodization, if that's if I could combine or make up that word, it's kind of like people see um, movies and, and TV series that feature um, plane crashes and this sort of thing, and and it always sort of looks the same. Like it's a very similar set of scenes that we're often shown. You know, things start shaking, lights are flickering, um, and you've got the cabin crew sort of saying it's fine, it's fine until it's not fine. <laughs> you know, this is like a a typical. Um, scene that we see. So I wonder as well, you know, how much plays into the way people um, perceive what's going on and then, you know, what's actually going on. But do you guys ever find yourself actually thinking, oh, this is actually pretty, like as cabin crew that's experiencing it all the time, do you ever find yourself or have you found yourself in a situation where you've gone, actually, this is pretty bad, but uh, we better not start a panic and just say, look, it's completely normal? We have, I think it was a couple months ago, we did have what is known as severe turbulence. 
Right. To which we had prior warning that there was turbulence on the weather radar from the flight deck and the captain. So we were aware that we were expecting that. And severe turbulence is when the aircraft can drop out of the sky like 10 meters. So it's the full on movie style turbulence, like everything drops, things open, things go flying, to which we've had that. And it is, it's mildly terrifying, but at the same time, you know that you're perfectly safe. We were prior warned, the captain knew, just the passengers were very shaken after it, but we knew we kept everything secure. So if we get warnings that turbulence is going to happen, we make sure that everything is secured as much as possible. So if we're making teas, coffees, things like that, if we open a compartment to get something out, we immediately close it behind us. So we're always trying to keep everything closed, keep everything clear, make sure there's nothing that can go flying. Because if something goes flying, it's painful. Understood. So listen, you've mentioned a, a bunch of kind of like things that can happen in different situations on a plane. I'm interested in the specific mistakes that an air hostess, cabin crew member can make. I mean, obviously there's lots, right? Obviously. There's, I mean, we can sit here for another hour talking purely about all the things that you could do wrong. But is there, you know, perhaps a couple of really big things that you've picked up on on the job that you've recognised that, hey, this is actually a, a pretty serious part of my job. If I do this incorrectly, it's going to lead to a serious consequence. What are the main mistakes that you see that an air hostess can make? The main mistake is not securing. So everyone knows you take a trolley through the cabin to do your drink service, your duty-free, things like that. If you don't put the brakes on that thing, they will break legs, break arms. They are... They're about 90 kilos when they're fully loaded. And if that is not secure, I've seen one not secure. We managed to stop it before it went anywhere. But it is painful, as you've heard stories of people who've not secured the boxes above their heads and they've fallen out and hit people. There's, you know, you don't secure a suitcase properly in the overhead compartments. They will open and things will fall out, to which usually they land on my head because I'm the one fixing the thing which I had a painting dropped on my head three times <laughs> because someone would not store their back correctly. Yeah, I guess that, I guess, you, yeah, I guess you can see why one of the big things that you guys do or that I've seen you guys do is, you know, when everyone sees you, you've kind of gone through everything, you know, you guys walk up and down the aisle and just like, you know, check the um, overhead luggage and then obviously make sure that those doors I guess you'd call them doors, are firmly um, secured. That's something that, yeah, I've obviously observed. But I can see how, you know, people are tired, they're rushing, they just want to sit down, they just want to get into their flight. So they just throw whatever they want in whatever whatever strange order that um, they can sort of up, up above them. And, yeah, I guess I can see how, yeah, some pretty serious injuries could probably amount from that. So it's often those simple ones, isn't it? Like in your case, just securing the trolley, securing the luggage, so simple but, so damaging as well if it's not remembered or just not done correctly hey there the suitcases the things in the overhead compartments you can put anything and everything up there when you open that after takeoff or after landing things will have moved and they will fall out my personal favorite is people will shove 20 jackets up there and think it's perfectly safe and then they open it and they just go boom and fall everywhere in the cabin and i just watch it happen because you've warned them don't do that if when you open that they're going to explode out and you'll be covered in 20 jackets and whatever else is in the pockets and it will just go 
everywhere. Yeah. They don't listen. It happens. And then they try and blame you. And I'm just like, no, no, you were warned. Now have fun with your cookie. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. What do you, have you yourself personally, um, have you made a mistake whilst, um, you know, flying uh, in your role? Um, and how did you handle it? What was, what, what's something that's happened to you where you've gone, wow, I really shouldn't have done that? Or are you, have you got a clean record, so to speak? I mean, for the major things that can break things, I have a clean record in all the major ones. But in the cabin with the passengers, they they won't put their handbags, their things. I've had a guitar go flying because they wouldn't, you know, secure it properly with their seatbelt. I've had someone, like, they travel with children. We have specific rules on how you have to take off and land with your child. I've had them putting them under the seats in their bass and their little bassinets. I've had someone try and put their baby in the overhead compartment because they didn't want to hold it. Wow. They will do anything and everything and just... It's not securing things in the cabin, so they've left their tray tables down during landing, and they've like fallen into them, and they've get bruised from that. And I'm just like, you, you are told. We do tell you multiple times all of these safety things after we've been through and we've told you. It's on you after that. So if you don't comply with us with the safety, anything that happens is all you. Geez, that uh, that example with the baby, like putting a baby above. Like in the overhead luggage, it's just, yeah, you'd think that like as a mother or a father or like whoever's looking after that child, like what the hell is going through their mind to think, yeah, that's that's a good spot for a baby. It's just, is there even oxygen that well, runs through there? Like are they going to have enough air? That's yes, circulates? but it's dark and it's quieter. So you place the baby up there. So And they do that when they're sorting their luggage. They've not got anywhere. They've usually got two or three children. Right. So they place one up there to put the other two. And I'm just like, don't, don't do that. That is not not a safe space to put them. You put suitcases up there. It's, it's not. It's not a good. We just see all these people like after after listening to this episode, you know, getting going and getting like some custom made like little mattresses or something and putting them up there and just turning it into a bit of a playground for the kids. It's probably not a bad behavioural management strategy, you know, like oh this is fun. But yeah, obviously, like once that door closes, they're either going to scream very loudly or, or fall asleep. Obviously, you want them to fall asleep, but. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. The mentalities of some people is just bizarre. But I guess so, yeah, you've mentioned some of the mistakes around what, you know, air hostesses can do, cabin crew can do, personal mistakes for you. What about mistakes that um, you've seen passengers do? Like obviously you've mentioned the um, the luggage component. Are there some key mistakes that you see um, even before we get on the plane. So are you as cabin crew also responsible for checking baggage in, you know, at the like counters and stuff like that? Or is that like a separate group? Luckily with the company I work for, the airport itself does all of the checking in, the gate staff, all of that. We're just in charge of the aircraft itself. But there are some companies that you may have to go up and do the check-in with them. But for us, we just stay on their aircrafts and everything's done for us. But one thing a lot of people don't realize is you don't have a lot of space or time. So if you have lots of little bags, it's not going to work. So if you've got like three duty-free bags, your backpack, your suitcase, what you really should have is one suitcase that you put everything that you're not going to touch in. And then with your backpack, keep it as empty as possible for your duty-free things. Because the more bags you have and the more things you have, the harder it is to be more comfortable in your seat. 
So I see people who have like three, four bags and a big suitcase and their big jacket and they're wearing like they've got the neck pillow, the headphones, the whole thing. And I'm just like, you don't have space for all of that. You just need your two bags, put everything you need in the one that goes under your seat and as much as possible, put in your jacket because you have to keep that with you for most of the time. So if you can put your passport, your phone, everything in the jacket instead of rummaging through your backpack. So if you're checking in and you have, oh, no, my passport, and you have to go through your suitcase, you're wasting your own time. So always prep your small things into your jacket. Yeah, it's just like basic um, management that probably people don't think too much about, you know, and, and you're right. Like sometimes you go through an airport and you just see these like huge like trolleys of bags and you know, you know that they're like obviously they're gonna check a lot of them in, but then like, you know, they seem to have just excess of everything hanging off the bag, like, you know, your drink bottles hanging out. I remember um as a teenager, I used to do this course when I was in college. It was called Expedition. And it was basically we'd just go expeditioning, you know, we would have a big track and um it was like hiking. So we'd do all of these crazy hikes. And the guy that used to lead it was one of the head guys that used to take uh, train people and then take people down to Antarctica. Uh, and he, as simple as it sounds, he had really specific ways of packing bags. So, you know, like your simple things like putting the heavier items down the bottom and the lighter items at the top, like all that sort of stuff, um, he really drilled into us. But I remember just like the other simple one that he mentioned was when you have like your pack that you're hiking with, you never want to have like you see, you know, some campers, some hikers, they'll have like their roll, like their thing that they're going to sleep on that sits like outside of the the bag or the pack. And then they have like all of these like utensils and like drink cups and things like on little clips that they can quickly access. And in some ways, there are advantages to like quick access, obviously, where you don't have to like unpack the whole pack to get to it. But um, he really drilled in the importance of like especially when the weather turns bad, like actually having everything inside, like you shouldn't be packing anything or shouldn't be carrying anything in this case that you couldn't fit in the bag. So he was always of the notion like all that extra stuff, like you're either going to have to remove something from the bag and put it in there or just not bring it. And I think that like as simple as that sounds, yeah, like I suppose when it comes to baggage, like yeah, I mean you never know what people's time schedules are, but you can see how just like simple strategies can make your life so much easy at, uh, easier at the airport and, of course, on the plane when it comes to actually storing some of this stuff home. Because if you're travelling with children, a lot of people give them the children-sized backpacks, which it's a lot smarter if you're travelling with a child. It may be more difficult in the long run, but if you give them the largest bag that is feasibly possible for were the under the seat. If you give them one of those, you end up with more space in your luggage overall. And you'd sort of your child a lot of the time, their feet don't touch the floor. You can put all the stuff that you're traveling with under their feet. So it's a lot easier with children. Give them the biggest bag that you can get away with with traveling with. Even if you have to, you know, pack take the like trolleys in the airport to just move everything. You have more space for your stuff along with the kid's stuff and you can bring more things to entertain the kid with on the plane. It's not really fun for children to fly a lot of the time. 100%. So you have just sort of started touching on um, one of the questions that I've really been wanting to ask and something that's been on my mind, which is this idea of like travel hacks or things that 
people can do to make their time in the airplane more comfortable, um, easier, quicker, uh, more efficient, cheaper potentially. Like from a cabin crew perspective, I know like your you know speciality is you know in the cabin itself. But is there any travel hacks that you recommend across any of those areas, whether it's checking in at the airport um, that you're aware of? Um, you know, coming onto the plane, things that you can ask for, things that you can request, things that you can do. So I guess one of the big travel hacks that I use, and it always works for me because I'm six foot five, I think, I always say, hey, like if it's possible, like so the first so the first hack is that I actually turn up slightly earlier to the gate. And then before we get to boarding, I actually talk to cabin crew. Uh, and I always say, look, you know, like I find myself pretty cramped in some of these smaller smaller seats like is there any way i could have a seat in an emergency exit now i'm sure that a lot of tall people understand that hack already but i guess another hack that i also use is like the chewing gum like quite often i don't know if it's a myth but like you know people that get sore ears with the pressure changes as they climb in altitude or or reduce for some reason chewing gum seems to be something that aids in in that pain i don't know again if it's just like placebo and has that effect but those are two travel hacks that i have used and do use quite frequently is there anything else that i guess people that maybe aren't six foot five and or maybe if you have even other hacks that tall people could request i'd be very interested in that but what what travel hacks do you have that people can kind of use on the next flight for flying even if you've not checked a bag in at the main check-in desk always check if it's possible with your airline to check in once you're at the gate for the aircraft because that is something that I've done on more than one occasion is I go through duty-free and I have like an empty carry-on bag but there's things I want from the duty-free but I don't want them in the cabin with me if it's all possible always check it in once you get to the gate so you're never on the aircraft with all of your bags you take an empty one and you check it in at the gate that's a really useful hack because you can take all this stuff through with you and you know it's getting on the aircraft. You don't worry about it getting lost in the handling system because it literally just goes down the stairs straight into the aircraft. Always see if you can do that. That's the best hack, especially when traveling with children, the buggies, the car seats, the whole thing. Some airlines, you can take the pram all the way into the aircraft and keep it with you. Car seats are the same. Some, they don't let you keep them. But Always take it right up to the gate because if you've gone through an airport before, you're going to need all those things. So always check it at the last possible opportunity because if you check in your buggy, but you have like two hours left in the airport, you're going to be tired, exhausted, grumpy. You're not going to want to do it. Another fun one is the neck pillow. A lot of people, they'll take the cushion out of the neck pillow or all the beads and they'll put some of their clothes in there which that is a better hack than, you know, an actual like couch cushion that people pretend that they have to sit on because I will make you sit on it if you bring a cushion and tell me it's for sitting on. As I had one girl who insisted it was a cushion and I could tell she'd shoved it full of all of her sandals and like hard things because <laughs> she didn't want to put it in her backpack, which was full of clothes. And I was just like, well, if it's your cushion, you need to sit on it. That's why you brought it. Yes. And she just looked at me like it's full of my shoes. And I'm like, <laughs> you're going to have to put that in the hold because that is classed as an extra bag now. Mm. You have to be careful with the pillows and the sort of duty-free bag hack because it depends on the airline, but you will get it confiscated and they will put them in the hold and you will be charged. Gotcha. 
any other little hacks that you could share with us? I like those three. I'm definitely going to be using, I like the um, neck pillow. Like that's an interesting one because sometimes like, you know, if you go to a, like in my case, like I'm very rarely do I go like clothes shopping, for example. But when I do, like it's usually at like bigger cities. So if I turn up to um, like say Melbourne or Sydney, which are much larger, um, you know, have more options. I roll in there and like I buy some gear from like the direct factory outlets and then like on the trip home, you know, like the space that you usually had, like because I'm me, I filled it up originally on the trip over and not left room for like new stuff. So then what I've done is like run out of space now that I've bought new things. So just like being able to throw maybe some of that new stuff in a um yeah, you know, in a travel pillow just to get it back without being charged. I mean, a lot of the time the cabin crew on the ground are pretty like lenient you know if you're a little bit over the weight or whatever like they're okay but it's just sometimes just like the physics of it it just will not fit or like you've bought something else it just will not fit so i can see how that's really useful another one is wear as much as possible if you don't want to pay for an extra bag just wear about 20 layers you'll be very uncomfortable in the aircraft but for short flights it's it works so just wear like all three of your t-shirts so you don't have to like pack them Another one, if you're really, really tall, usually we ask that you board first so that you can get to your seat and get out of the way or board last because usually there's spaces you can see where all the best seats are if you're boarding last and you can then ask and we can move passengers a lot quicker at the end because if we you board at the front at the start, we don't know a lot of the time if people are going to sit in their assigned seats they're supposed to but they never do. So we always sort of keep really tall people. If I'm in the middle of the aircraft, I tell them just sit down in the emergency exit rows. I will move someone who's shorter because I've had, we had, it was in the end of summer last year, it was the European handball tournament. And we had sort of team upon team of all these guys, two meters tall, even taller hitting their heads off the top of the aircrafts. And we moved everyone from the emergency exit rows because they were all average size. They were quite happy to give up their seats because they just saw how tall these people were. And it's even though they booked those seats as well, sometimes it just doesn't work. So we swap if you're really tall. I'll tell you another one that I've just thought of, which I've used in the past as well. Like I'm, I'm one of the good guys that, or the good boys that do as I'm told and sit in my allocated seat. Um, so I kind of do that. But then if I'm like flying solo and I don't want to be around like, like if I've got mates, I'll obviously sit with them or if I'm with the family, I'll sit with, with them. But like if I'm flying solo, what I do is just have like a quick scout around. And like if I can see that like there's, you know, like I'm, I'm stacked up with a person either side um, of me so in the three seat um, rows like if I'm stacked up with with a couple of other people I'll just kind of like look around to see if there's any other empty spots around the airplane and sometimes there have been and I've just been like hey do you mind like I'll, I'll talk to Cam crew like hey do you mind if I move over there like if there's no one else coming and because sometimes the allocated seating you know like you get an allocated seat even though there is and I know they try and balance it out in terms of weight distribution but yeah sometimes there is that availability so that's one that's worked for me too the other one, which um, I guess is more personal preference, is I know a lot of people like the window seat, but if you're like me and needs to go to the toilet like every half an hour, like I tell you, it is an absolute blessing to have the inner, um, the innermost seat to the aisle because you can just like get up. You don't have to like you know 
like have this awkward thing where you're like shuffling past, you know, two people um, to get out to the aisle. Like it's quite nice just be able to like stand up and and roll down. And like obviously there's that step further as well that you could sort of go towards, you know, request a seat. Quite often if you're booking online, you can kind of see where your seat is. You know, you can like book a seat closer to like the toilets and stuff like that. Maybe even even if you have kids, it's, it's just like simple little things can make sometimes painful trips be be a little bit more bearable. Twitch, if you're flying long haul, I always choose to sit in the middle sections because there's a lot of like you've got your three, four, three or three, three, three. No one wants to sit in the middle of the middle ones, but those are some of the best seats because they're quite a lot of time. The foot space is wider and most people don't want to sit there. So half the time you'll end up with a middle row, middle section to yourself. And that way you can get out either side as well. So if one person on one side of you is sleeping, but the other is awake, you can still get out either side because there's the aisle on both sides, mm. which is always the better option. Because the window, sure, you get a good view, but at the same time, you can look out the window past the people at the same time. Like, you don't have to sit next to it. Susanna, if people are thinking about going into this profession. They've been thinking, they've been sitting on the fence for a while. They really want to get into working as cabin crew and flying around as you do and seeing all these amazing locations. What would be the singular piece of advice that you'd give them? What sort of what sort of tips would you give them just to help in that decision? Have a lot of patience because the application process is extremely thorough and it's extremely strict. They will check every aspect of your life for an arbitrary period and then your training it seems like it's the end of the world if you get something wrong you just have to keep going i've known people who've applied six seven eight times for a company and it's not because they're not good enough for the company it's just because there's someone who's slightly more so they speak another language so if you speak one language someone who speaks two is going to get it over you if you speak three languages you're going to be more likely to get hired the more experience you have. So if, because I was a waitress, I have was more likely to get it over someone who was just, you know, worked in a bookshop because I had more customer service experience in a different aspect. So I worked in tourism as well. So tourism already gives me the upper hand because I'm used to people in from different countries asking different questions because you will be asked the same question 20 times the exact same time and you have to smile and nod and it's just patience is the most important thing i can say if you want to become cabin crew don't give up just keep going i appreciate your time Susanna, and i really appreciate you shedding light on i guess that yeah, an industry where you know we sort of take for granted we hop on the plane you guys are ready to go you make it very comfortable and then we step off without really a second thought so i think it's really important to um, shed light on the fact that you guys obviously do a lot um, in terms of safety comfort um, dealing with customer complaints knowledge of um, emergency procedures and all the legislation that goes around that so i was really looking forward to shedding light on that industry so i appreciate your time in doing that uh, would you feel comfortable sharing like do you have an instagram or some sort of account that people could follow your journeys do you post things regularly all good if you don't but if you do and you'd like people to check out what you're doing do you have a tag there Mm, not really. My, I don't really share my my journeys because half the time I just don't have time in between my passengers to take the pictures. 
but there are a lot of amazing like cabin crew and pilots. If you just search in hashtag cabin crew on Instagram, you will find amazing things. Twitch. There are some which I follow one of our pilots who every day he posts the sunrise or the sunset and it's things like that are some of the greatest things above the job. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great advice like for people that are just looking to be inspired and and uh, yeah, just just get a, a feel for the theme of, of that profession. Really nice um, for them to actually see that visually. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Once again, thanks very much for your time, Susanna. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to checking in every so often and seeing which country you're um, flying to next and all the amazing stories. So let's keep in touch and uh, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Been great talking to you. <laughs> Well, there you go, crew. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Every time I see an air stewardess working, it always makes me think about where is it that they're going? Do they have a destination that they are going to for that flight or do they have to jump on another flight to get home? And I think that mystery of that profession of where are you going to be spending the night, where, what city, what country, if you're doing international flights, It's quite an amazing profession in that you get to see the world. And even, I believe, for a lot of air hostesses, the flights also become discounted. So I think if you're thinking about a career change and maybe you don't have a family yet or the commitments are not such that they're going to be impacted, then I think uh, becoming an air stewardess is a fantastic option. Crew, as always, make sure that you like and subscribe on wherever it is that you listen to us on. And don't forget to head over to Instagram at Mr. TM Walters for all our key insights. And you can also see mistakes and solutions from all of our episodes at Mistake Mastery on Instagram as well. Crew, please make sure that you are sending us a DM with professions or careers, ideas for people that you'd like to have us have a talk to next. Maybe you're a listener and you have an interesting job or you have an interesting career or maybe just a career that you think has some practical knowledge that people want to um, or would, would find useful. Please be sure to flick us a DM and we'd love to be in touch. In the meantime, crew, have a fantastic evening and we'll talk to you next time.